good friends are here, uh, and Jeff is going to be ministering to us today. I have known Jeff for probably more years than he wants to admit. I've known him as a vineyard church planter, vineyard pastor. I've known him as an uh, as an architect. Uh, in fact, he was the architect that designed. Uh, the remodel of this building. I told him, you know, when he got here, I knew I didn't know have to point out where the restrooms were to him because he put them there. Uh, and uh, but but uh, and now is a is it? Did you said a uh, what's the word you used? Catastrophe. You I know I know you as a catastrophe. Oh no, and a, 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 a catastrophe insurance adjuster. That's it. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I've known him in a lot of ways, but more than that, I've known him as a good, faithful friend and a good, faithful follower of Jesus that loves to see Jesus change lives, that loves to see the kingdom of God come in power. And no matter what he's doing vocationally, that has always been the thing that he's run hard after. So um, I'm going to give him uh, the mic, and we'll see what God has to speak to us through him. So let's let's welcome Jeff. So I, let, let, let me let me pray for you. Uh oh. Okay. Father, I just pray for Jeff right now. I thank you. I thank you that he's uh, that he's been able to come and minister. Lord, you know, I've been wanting him to come minister long before, uh, this ever happened. Uh, and I thank you that you've given us that opportunity today. I pray your spirit would rest on him and anoint him. Just fill him Lord as he, as he ministers in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks Dave. So a couple of things. One, I love Brussels sprouts. Um, I don't know what's wrong with Dave. Um, he was going to be speaking. Yeah. And number two, I brought a lot of paraphernalia, so I'll be, I'll be uh, working on it here as we go. Um, if you like the building, then that was stuff that I did. Um, if, if, you, if you don't, that's probably one of the points where Dave, he can be really stubborn and wouldn't, wouldn't let me do it. Um, so uh, the catastrophe insurance adjuster thing, four and a half years ago, first my wife kept nagging me all, all through 2017. And then she kept saying, you should go do this. And, and I would say, I don't want to. <laughs> and, and then... Uh, one day she comes to me and she says, you should do this. And she says, look what they're paying. And I thought, oh, I guess I'll be doing this. And, and then over the next 24 hours or so, the Lord just said, let's make architecture a hobby and do this. And so I go for a big storm hits. And if I want to go, I, I travel and I end up... Uh, he just gives me all these divine appointments. I, I stop in people's house and they're crying or, or they need healing or it's just, it's a blast. I just kind of walk around and do that. And 
I go there when I want to. I come home when I want to. I work really hard when I'm there, but last big one I went on, I got to live on the beach the whole time. So that was nice. Um, it was, it was. Now I only got to walk on the beach twice because I was so busy. But uh, uh, let's see here. I don't know if there's enough room for all my paraphernalia, but um, so today we're going to, I have too much junk. Um, so we're going to talk about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coins. And uh, I, right away after, after Susie called and asked if I, I could speak, um, that's what the Lord put on my heart. And uh, so let's just, let's just jump into it here. Um, it, was, uh, it was the fall of 1999. Um, we had just put our youngest son into a Christian middle school. And I was at the first soccer practice of, of the new season. I was just there as a dad, even though I'd coached for several years. I was just going to watch. And so I was kind of watching the coach. And he made his little speech where he said, winning doesn't really matter. And I thought, oh, no. Um, so I talked to him and offered to help. And about 20 minutes later, I was the new soccer coach. Um, so that was how I first met Nathan. Um, Nathan was this strong, athletic, 13-year-old kid. He had a really great smile, a great personality, but he was a complete mess. Um, he had been, he had recently moved to Indianapolis from Florida where he lived with his, his mom, who was an alcoholic, or no, his mom was a drug addict. His dad was an alcoholic. And his oldest brother was in prison. And uh, he would become our son's best friend over the years, but he would also become our son's project and our son's burden and ours as well. Um, as the years passed, our whole family just, we just grew to love Nathan. Um, we cared for him. We rescued him many times. And at, at age 21, I, we invited him to be our son to come in and live with us. And uh, just to be a part of our family. And at first, he really improved. Julie did all kinds of things to make his life better, um, get, help him get a job, get money for college, all kinds of things. And uh, he seemed like he was flourishing. But then one, one month we noticed that his cell phone bill that we were paying for was $300. Um, we said, if that happens again, we'll cut it off. And the next month it was worse. So, we just shut it off. He came home screaming. And uh, we kind of had it out that day. And he walked out of the house in anger. And that's the last time 
he was ever in our house. Um, <clears throat> Over the years, Nathan's been addicted to drugs, homeless, and now he's, ser he's serving his second prison sentence in uh, northern Indiana. At one point while awaiting trial, well, he, let me see here. At the reason for his prison sentence is because he, he got arrested for armed robbery where he faked that he had a gun. Um, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't be in prison right now except that he actually admitted to them what he was doing and in a, in a moment of, of uh, just honesty. So while he was awaiting that trial, he, he uh, contacted me and wanted to know if he could call us. And I said, I said, yes, you absolutely. But I said, if you ever come to our house again, or if you ask for money, that'll be the end of it. Boundaries are important. And we had gone, at the point he left our house, we were about as far as we could go in doing things. And not because we were angry necessarily, just there's a point where you're not helping anymore. And we'd reached that point. So um, since then, he and I talk by phone two or three times a month whenever he calls. And every time he calls, I, I tell him from my heart that I love him. And we love him. Well, in this prison that he's in right now, he has the misfortune of being, uh, being housed in the same facility where his former drug dealer is located. A drug dealer that he owes a large and long overdue debt. And so that has led to threats of violence, some violence. Um, several weeks ago he called, he called me and he called my son and, I'm, and I know others as well. He'd been threatened and he heard rumors that he was gonna get stabbed that night. And uh, if he didn't pay. So despite our previous warnings about not asking for money, he was, he was begging. And he screamed at me, he said, you don't know how serious this is. And I said, yeah, I do, Nathan. I said, you might get killed tonight. And it's time for you to deal with God and trust him, whether you live or whether you die. Um, Sometimes I have to have really hard conversations with Nate. Sometimes it's just nice stuff about how the grandkids are and that sort of thing. But I know Nate. I think I'm I, I think better than Nate knows Nate, I know Nate. And uh he's a good kid who's now thirty-five with a good heart. Um it's in there. He's intelligent, engaging, and he and he knows God. Um, I truly believe that I will see him in eternity. But his early years taught him not to trust anybody. At a, 
at a level much deeper than here, way down inside. And he learned to use his charm and intelligence to manipulate others instead of doing the right thing. And uh, that works a lot better when you're 15 than it does when you're 35. So he's running out of options. And I believe in redemption, but Nate's one of those people that the day he was born, he was almost lost. We're never lost with God, but some people have a lot more obstacles. And uh, we've literally poured years into this, this kid, and we don't regret it. But unless he chooses differently, um, there's not much chance for a good outcome in this life. And we're going to keep praying and loving and fighting, but at this point, we'll do it with every viable means, but at this point, that has been whittled down to a 15-minute phone call two or three times a month on, on a good month. Um, Nathan, from the day we met him, has been lost. He's a lost coin that we've found and lost and found over and over for the last 23 years. So, I um, almost forgot I need to deal with some of my stuff here. Um, so, uh, like I said, we're going to continue the series of, on kingdom stories, and we're going to talk about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coins. Um, are are any of you guys like me, where you you get into the Bible and you start digging? You 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 get I, I get fixated on a verse or a word or some passage, and then I keep I keep pushing on that. And, that, and that's really good at times, but uh, should have gotten one that, that came out faster. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so anyway, there, it's also good to understand a little bit about the context of, of what we're looking at. And so right after Susie asked me, to come and speak, I felt like the Lord pointed me to the, to the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the coins. I'm going to talk mostly about coins because I, I, I looked into uh, hauling a hundred sheep down here and apparently that's a little, little more difficult. So we're going with coins. Um, so Anyway, we, Saturday, the Lord just started taking me backwards through Luke and, and showing me some of the context. And some of the context for this parable is when uh, throughout Luke, there's, there's a, a theme of repentance. John the Baptist starts with a baptism of repentance Jesus starts his ministry, and other Gospels record that some of the first words that Jesus said were, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And, and so repentance runs through. Um, a, a second big thing is the kingdom of God. Luke, in particular, all the Gospels talk about the kingdom of God. And, and if you've gone to the vineyard very long, you, you know we talk about the kingdom of God a lot. And so when you look through there, I think one of the more important things, and I think is relevant to these parables, is in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 lead disciples. And he tells them to cast, demon, cast out demons, heal the sick, and so on. Basically, he tells them to do exactly what he's been doing. In the chapters before that, Luke documents those things. And so they go out and they come back and, and they're rejoicing at what happened. Well, the very next chapter, 10, he sends out 72. And my guess is, I don't, whatever they called home groups back then, what do you call them here? Small groups, okay. Well, my guess is that the 72 were those 12 disciples and five people from their small group. And because ministry goes from Jesus to them and, and just keeps on traveling out people to people. And then in Matthew 28, um, before his ascension, Jesus tells a group of about 120 to go out and do the same things. He says, do everything that I commanded you. And he commanded him to go out, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to do whatever the Father is doing. And, uh, and so he tells them to do that, and then he tells them to make more disciples by teaching them to do all that stuff. And it just goes on and on. And I think sometimes in our daily lives we forget that we literally can do exactly what those disciples did, and we literally can do exactly what Jesus did. And so I think that falls right in with this, with this passage. Um, so uh, another story, in my, in my early days as a soccer coach, I coached for a bunch of years, and in my early days, I, there was this woman who was on the soccer, the board of the soccer club that my kids were in. And so I, I would talk to her about, we'd talk about soccer and we'd talk about the club and how we could improve it and, all, and those kinds of things. Well, one day, I don't even remember her name, but one day she started telling me about how the difficulties she was having just as a single divorced mom. And it was something to do with her daughter. And I, uh, I said, well, can I pray for you? And like everybody almost that I, I ask that question, they think, oh, he's going to go away and sometime later he'll pray. They don't realize that when I turn my head and walk 10 feet, I've already forgotten. So I just say, can we do it right now? And so, standing on the soccer field, we prayed. And I could tell God touched her, but I knew that he did because I got a call from another board member a couple of days later who said, 
that she told the story of me praying for her and was blown away that I just did it right there on the soccer field. Um, that was towards the end of the season. And I think we went to another club after that. So I'm not sure that I ever saw her again. Um, but that's how this goes. On that day, she was lost. And the Lord put her and me together so that he could minister through me. Um, so let's, uh, let's look at the parable. I'm, I'm just going to read through this, this parable. And these are, Jesus in this case, he does two parables right in a row. And the immediate context is, is that the, ver the first verse or two, it says, uh, oh, and this is chapter 15, 1 to 10. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So what, what prompted Jesus to tell these stories is that he had a bunch of grumpy religious people complaining because instead of hanging out with them, he was hanging out with these other people, you know. Um, I remember Steve Shogren talking about who he started the vineyard in Cincinnati. And I remember him talking about in the early days that one day one of his leaders came up and he's like, hey, do you see those three girls back there? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, they're, they're prostitutes. And Steve looked at them and he thought, saw how they were dressed. And he's like, yeah, I think they're prostitutes. And, and the guy says, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, well, I, I think I'll go say hi to him. And, and then the same guy came to him at some later time and, and said, do you know who that woman is back there? And he goes, no. And he goes, she's a psychic on the local radio station. And, and uh, again, what are you going to do about it? And Steve said, nothing. And the guy's like, well, you'll just let anybody in here. He's like... <laughs> He's like, he finally figured it out, you know. <laughs> so, um, I was on a, uh, I was on, a, I, I don't drink, I'm, I just don't like the stuff, but I, I try to make a practice of hanging out in bars, especially when I'm on the road. And uh, that's because I, I, I mean, I get to pray, pe pray with people in bars, I get to talk to people and uh, tell them about Jesus and just in the natural course of the discussion. But I, I, over the years, I've gone to a bunch of con conferences all over the country that the Vineyard puts on. And one year I was in Columbus, Ohio, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so we always, we, were, we would look for, and I, we were scraping for me to go on this trip. And so I'm looking for a place to stay. Julie was looking. And that's my wife right there, 
that's the better part of this, if, if you want to meet her later. Um, so we're just looking for the cheapest place to stay. So she finds the Knights Inn for $35. Have you ever seen a Knights Inn? I mean, I'm, I'm an architect, and on the day that those things were, like right after they're constructed, they're offensive to my eyes. It's, I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a point when a night's in was a good place to stay. But when, when we made the reservation, I specifically said, I want a non-smoking room. Probably a miscommunication, but I think what they heard was, I want a room that reeks of cigarette smoke. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so that's what I got. And uh, I went down to the office to talk to them, and they're like, yeah, that's the only one we have. Don't have any openings. We didn't have enough money for me to go someplace else, so I went back to my room, opened the door, cranked up the heat. It was about 40, 43 degrees maybe, and I tried to air out the room. So I'm sitting on one bed next to the heater, and this girl goes walking by, sobbing. And she walked by this way and went on down, and several minutes later, she comes walking back this way, still sobbing. Then she came back again. And I heard her coming, and I, I, I stepped out to the door, and I'm like, are you okay? Is there something I can do to help you? And I think the first time she didn't answer, the second time I did that, she just said no. She didn't, need any, didn't want any help. But she kept going back and forth, and she just kept sobbing. So I kept talking to her. So finally I said, why don't you just sit down in this chair. It's by the desk. It's right next to the door that's open. And so she sat down, and we started to talk a little bit. And she explained that she was a, a prostitute, and she was upset because of something that her pimp had done and they'd had a big argument and she also at some point she stayed a little while and at some point she she said that she hadn't slept the night before so I said well why don't you go lay down on the other bed and rest and she laid down and she fell asleep and so the door was still open by the way just and and so I walked out, closed the door, and just thought, hey, I haven't, I haven't talked to Julie since I've been here, so I called her. And so we talked about different things, and at some point I said, oh, guess what? There's a prostitute in my bed. Um, <laughs> and she's, she's a really understanding woman. And, and so uh, after some time, another girl came down and this girl left with her. A couple of hours later, I get, um, I get a, uh, I, I hear a bunch of noise, and I look out. There's a huge argument going on down there. And, and so, big argument. I hear somebody get in his car, and he goes screeching away. So I did what I think anybody would do. I walked down and knocked on the door to see if she was okay. 
and uh, and so they opened the door. I I started to talk, and I ended up in the room with three or four prostitutes, and and one of the prostitutes was a girl who grew, grew up Pentecostal. So in a matter of minutes, three or four of us were uh, like, as soon I said, well, can, why don't we just pray for her? And so next thing I know, the Pentecostal girl, she's over there and she's like, <laughs> got, got two hands on her and stuck, jumps into it. And so there I am standing in a room full of prostitutes praying for one of the prostitutes. And at the same time, kind of praying that that guy doesn't come back. Um, that could have been bad. And so that, that evening, I took this girl and the, and the uh, Pentecostal girl, um, took them to the Vineyard Conference. I was really hoping something miraculous would happen. Um, it didn't that I'm aware of. Um, but then after, the, after it was over that night, I, I took them to a different hotel so they could get away from this, this bad pimp. I, I don't know what a good pimp is, but I'm, I'm assuming this was, he was on the bad end of things. And I tried to connect her with a girl from the Columbus Vineyard. I don't know how well that connection ever worked worked but never talked to him again but that girl was lost and God put me in this nasty hotel room so that I'd have to leave my door open so that she would walk by and we'd get to minister to her this is what happens with life in the kingdom it's not always dramatic like that but but Cool things happen. And so we just get to roll with them if we're smart. We can fight against them too, but, but we get to roll with them. I got to check my stuff here. So, um, so anyway, we just keep going along one lost person after another. And if you don't hang out with, with sinners then find a way to start doing it. I mean, every day, we're around them. And let's not be the grumpy old religious people. I think all of us are grumpy old religious people as time goes by. Um, we think when we're in you know, a church like the Vineyard, we think we're too cool to be grumpy and religious, but, but we are. Um, I remember when I first started going to the Vineyard, I. I, uh, for the first six months, I wore a tie. I was the only one wearing a tie, but I, I'd never been to church as an adult without a tie, I'd, you know. But eventually, I kind of caught on, and I stopped wearing a tie, and then somebody would come in with a tie, and I was like, oh, look at that guy. <laughs> I had become the grumpy religious person. But um, I did eventually, I, I would call them visitor tags back then. But So as Jesus goes on in this,
parable. Let's see, where, let me find it here. He says, so in response to the grumpy religious people, he, sa he says, it says, so he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And you, you know, when like he lays it on his shoulders, that's a really, that's a, a very affectionate thing to do. Like he loves this lost sheep. And, and uh, it says he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep, which was lost. And it says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And a little side note about when it says more joy in heaven. Back then, the... the when they would write scripture, they try, or even speaking, they would, they would avoid using the name of God in any sort of direct way. And so they found these ways to kind of slip around that. They felt like it was disrespectful to use God's name. And, and so they found these ways. And so when it says, more joy in heaven, what that means is God has more joy over one lost sinner who repents than over the 99 who don't need it. And we get to be part of that joy. We get to help. He, he uses us to help usher in that joy. Um, so then it says, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins loses, and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I, I, don't, I always thought it was kind of strange that, that this woman would lose one little coin and she'd spend, spend all day searching for that thing. That was a little, it's like, okay, it's, it's a coin, you know. But, but then I also thought it was strange that she makes such a big deal out of it she's got to call all of her friends. Like, it, again, it's a coin. So, so uh, most of the versions, they say, they say 10 silver coins. But in the Greek, what it says is a drachma. And a drachma was, sorry, I got work to do here. Um, a drachma is Basically, in that time, it was a day's wages. So it was kind of a big deal. 
that she lost a whole day's wages because these weren't Wall Street investors we're talking about. These are just hardworking people. And, and I, I noticed, I, I don't think I've ever noticed this, but when I was reading and preparing for this, I noticed that he's, when he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, he says, and a man loses one sheep, and he goes to look, and then, and a woman loses one coin. And, you know, there was a time like when I was growing up that women just stayed at home and, and didn't work. And Julie was home with, the, with our kids for a lot of years. And I think that's a great way to do it if you, if you can. But it's not always that way. And, it's, and a lot of that is cultural. And, and so if you read in Proverbs 31 where it talks about a godly woman. One of the things it talks about is she's got her, she's got these, she takes care of all the kids and the house and everything, but she also has a side business that she's earning money. So I thought it was interesting that Jesus would include both the man and the woman. And I think, you know, in today's culture, a lot of women work. And so maybe this metaphor isn't quite the same in our culture, but I think what it really says is that it doesn't really matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what your abilities are or whatever your situation. He still wants to use you. He still wants to send you out. He still gave you not the job, but like the, the joy of being able to minister in the kingdom. And and so we got we got to stop stop being afraid and just go for it. And and you know as you go for it I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that somebody like me should hang out with prostitutes on a regular basis. Even my understanding wife might have a problem with that if if it kept up. But when God leads you in to whatever the situation, go for it. I mean, that day, I looked down there, and when I, walked, when I went to the room, before I went to the room, I was saying, I, I was, it was like, I really, I really had this desire to go, but I was, I was asking God, you know, is this, a, is this something I should do? You know, sometimes you can meddle in people's situations and, it doesn't turn out well. But uh, anyway, so that's another thing I noticed. And see, I have so many things going on here. So to kind of close this out, I've, for many, many years, when I see pennies laying on the ground, I pick them up. Um, I find them in all kinds of places. Sometimes I pick up shiny ones. Most of the time they're dirty. Sometimes they're in mud or oil or some sticky goop. And, and I can't, I've been doing this so long, I can't keep from doing it. Like the worse the situation is, the more compelled I am to dig that thing out of there. And 
the reason is because I think of this, I think of this parable. And every time I pick up a penny, I think that's a lost person. And it all, it's almost become for me like it's a prayer. When I pick up a dirty, nasty penny, and the nastier the better, that it's a prayer asking God to reach out to those lost people. And it's a prayer reminding me that that's what I want my life to be about. And, and so I just keep picking these things up. Well, sometimes I'm th I think, why do people throw money on the ground? Like I know they're pennies, but they're still worth something. And, and uh, two weeks ago, I was, I was at this place called Scar Sparkling Image. It's a car wash. I paid $45 to get my, my car washed for the first time in a year probably and washed and detailed and all that stuff. And, and as I always do when I overpay for something I should probably do myself, I, I kind of nitpick. I'm like, hey, you, you, know, you missed this spot and you didn't vacuum this place back here. And, and, and I actually had my own rag. I was going behind them and, you know, and I'm sure they love me. Well, I, I said something, I didn't realize that I said something to the person who was the manager. And so he had them pull the car forward to another spot so that they could keep things moving. And, and so they spent another 10 or 15 minutes on my car up in this other spot. So in the meantime, I'm just waiting, hanging out. And I look down and there's a penny. So I, I, I reach down and I pick up that penny. And as I look down, I was like, oh, there's another penny. And so I pick that one up and, oh, there's three over there. And I go pick that. And it's like another after another after another. And I, I end up with a whole handful of pennies. And so after I'd picked up several of them in the, in the midst of getting that whole handful, I'd picked up several of them. And I suddenly felt embarrassed. I felt like, you know, somebody else thought this, these were so worthless that they just probably emptied their ashtray. And, and, uh, and then I thought, and other people, and I was thinking of the people working on my car, are thinking, this guy's paying $45 for us to do this, and he's walking around picking up dirty pennies. It's a little weird, you know. And, and so then I thought, well, maybe I should leave them for somebody else who needs them more, which is something that people often have, have said to me about picking up pennies, but I ignore a lot of things that people tell me. So it's one of my best and worst traits. She can tell you a lot of those stories. Um, but, you know, as I thought those things, I remembered that almost every day, all of us, we see people who are lost. And they're like those forgotten pennies. And like those pennies, the world and the church and unfortunately even 
people like me and you, we walk by and we just, we don't notice them. We don't realize that this person's hurting, that this person's lost, that they might seem like they're doing okay, but they're lost. And, and so, even though I was still a little embarrassed, I kept picking up pennies. And, even, and during it, I'm thinking, you're a really weird person, Jeff. Um, really odd. But, you know, being embarrassed at this isn't all that un unusual for me. I've done it a long time, and it's really bad when, I, when it's, like, stuck in something and I'm having to pry it up, and, you know. But at this point, it's almost impossible for me to walk by a penny on the ground and not pick it up if I see it. So that's how I want to be with people. You know, I want to see those lost people like I see pennies. I want to look for them. Like yesterday, I went to a race at the Speedway, and I decided to walk home, which was a few miles. And, and the whole time, I'm looking down on the ground and looking for pennies. I didn't find a single one, by the way. Um, and, and so, uh, let's see, sorry guys, I lost myself here. So what I was going to say is that the, the difference though is people aren't like pennies. Like I can't just take people home and put them in a jar. I, I actually have to spend time with them and sometimes... Sometimes I can see they're lost, but they don't see they're lost, and they get kind of irritated when I want to help them. Um, but, you know, I like to pray for servers in restaurants, and sometimes, sometimes my asking questions about that is directly correlates with my service going down rapidly. Um, but other times, I, I have some fun stories from that, too. So people need to connect, and people need to relate, and people, sometimes people take time to realize that you love them. People like Nate, it took, it took a lot of years. I mean, he would fake like he knew that we loved him. But even when I tell him hard stuff, he might go for a month or so and not call me, but he always calls me back because he knows that I love him. And, and so, but you know, they just, they take more time and they're actually even more messy than what I'm doing here with these. Um, this is Skyline hot sauce, by the way, if you need to clean pennies, it's, it's the best, the best one to use. Um, so, I guess, I guess what I want to say, like, you know, people might reject you. They might, they might not want that relationship. Um, but they're everywhere. They're all around you. And so look, let's look for them. Let, let's, let's go to the trouble to actually talk to them 
Let's, let's listen for when the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that stranger. And it doesn't matter whether you're extroverted or like me or introverted like my wife. You can still do it. You might do it in a little different way, but just, just go for it. And don't be afraid to look foolish. Don't be afraid to be rejected. You know, it's not the end of the world to get bad service at a restaurant. Um, I get it sometimes even when I don't ask those questions. Um, but let's, let's go for it. And, you know, there was that, well, two things, then I'll close. One, because I've, uh, one is years ago, I heard about, someone did a survey, I think it was in the late 60s, asking how many, they, they determined that it took six meaningful touches to go from non-Christian to Christian. They defined a meaningful contact. But then years later, 20, 25 years, somebody else did that, and they determined that it took 27 meaningful touches to go from non-Christian to Christian. This was in the United States. And on the one hand, that's really bad because it means we're further and further away. On the other hand, for those of us who are on the streets, in the workplace, trying to share Jesus, it really takes a lot of pressure off. Like, I don't have to be one of six. I mean, that might be a really significant contact. I, and it's probably worse now. I, I only have to be one of 27. I don't know whether I'm the first or whether I'm the last or one of those in between. But there's no pressure, you guys. So just get out there and go for it. And the other part is it's not on you to save them. It's not on you to heal them. It's, it's not on you to do anything except love them and maybe pray for them, talk to them. Um, you know, there was that song, Come to the Altar, the Father's arms are open wide. That's all we have to do is help them get closer to the altar because he's the one who does all the real work in this. So I just want you guys to go for it. And I, I'm really grateful that you guys had me allowed me to come and talk. It's a lot of fun. And now we're just going to, we're going to close. And um, why don't we just pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit where he wants to go from here. So, so Heavenly Father, send your spirit to us right here, right now. Lord, let your kingdom come and show us what you want to do.
I think there's someone here who's feeling some tingling, it, maybe in your hands. I haven't heard that one for a while. <laughs> but if that's you, then we want to pray for you. I also think that we want to pray for Dave. Um, anybody else hearing anything? Oh, it is? is well, let's pray for you, too. So why don't, why don't you come up and... I'll tell you what, we'll wait on you. Why don't we just start with you, and if, if, there, if there's somebody here who has that tingling sensation, then... Uh, then you come on up too. Um, do I still need to have the mic on here? How, do, how does this? I know when I walk over here, I won't be in the picture anymore. So, okay. Um, and aside, you're the tingler? <laughs> All right. So, okay. Um, why don't, why don't we just go over here and we can, I'll shut this off. <laughs>